Let's see. And we are live. This is Stacey Thomas. Awesome people. My show now is called, and it's a new show for those of you that don't know me. It's called the Stacey Thomas Unrestricted Unlimited Show. Why Unrestricted Unlimited? Because you cannot put me in a box. I still have yet to see all that God has for me, and I am excited about it. And I'm excited to bring to you all that he has for me to show you. And today I am so blessed to have Dr. Cassandra Shroud Conover. <laughs> oh, that sounds so good. <laughs> Sweetheart, thank you for coming on. Thank you for asking me. Good morning. Yes, you know, some people are a little hesitant when they look at Stacey Thomas, when they look at the books that she's written, when they look at the Unrestricted Unlimited, they just don't get it, Dr. Conover. That's because we aren't being real with ourselves. Yes, your, your books, your writings, your, your comments, you just it's just reality. And some people aren't ready for reality checks like yes, they're getting right now. Yes, <laughs> this is the biggest reality check. You know, me talking to you in my house, your place versus me being with you. If that isn't the biggest reality check for folks. Wow. I don't know wow. So even though I, I got to, you know, it's not me sucking up or anything, but I like to tell beautiful women that they're beautiful. So you're retired. You're retired Commonwealth attorney, right? Three years today. And you still wake up and get up like you're going to a big meeting? Uh, no, nah, uh, nah, this is for you. <laughs> this is for you because that's just how I roll. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. So being professional is it's a mental thing, but when you know that others are also going to be looking at you at the same time, then sometimes they need to see you exude that professionalism. So not only in your mannerisms and your talk, but in your dress. Yes, ma'am. Have you always been this way, Dr. Conover? See, my parents, if you knew my parents, my mama, my daddy didn't play. So it was instilled in me from my, my years in Lynchburg on Daniels Hill. So I didn't know what it was called. I just watched it being modeled by my mom and dad and my grandma so, and family. Yes, ma'am. So this brings me to, I like to um, start like not at the very beginning of your life, but when I talk to people, I like to get to know the person. Like I want to know who was Dr. Conover, let's say when she entered college, did she know she was going to be, look, third person, did she know she was going to be a Commonwealth attorney one day? Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. First and foremost, it, it's wonderful to say Dr. Conover, People know me as Cassandra, but my true friends and hometown folk know me as Sandy. And I'll always be Sandy. Actually, my plans, my parents' plans, actually, was for me to be a doctor. And I have to go before college real quick, before college. See, I grew up in Daniels Hill, and my hill was used to integrate. So from the very beginning... I was thrust into politics. You know, when my school, when my heel, because Lynchburg is made of seven hills, when my heel was used to integrate Lincoln, I was, it was the first time in school buses, and I had the nerve to have a white best friend, because those white parents were really hot. 
And that white best friend, Lisa Trevi, I love her, made me run for school president. And when I ran for school president, my slogan then was, don't vote for me because I'm black, vote for me because I can do the job. Of course I won. And that thrust me into politics in the sixth grade. Now, being I was the only black in most of my classes, my group were the guinea pigs for the AP courses. So one summer, my senior year, in 10 weeks roughly, we took about six AP courses to, to help with creating the exams and the curriculum. So I lost my childhood the senior year. So whenever I see somebody that's taking an AP class, I'm happy because I lost my childhood so they could have AP classes. But the goal then was to get me into medical school. And so chemistry, physics, all of this. Went to UVA that first year in engineering. I thought I'm going to prepare myself for medical school. Never thought about law. Never thought about any of that till it dawned on me, I can't stand the sight of blood. So then I have a law, uh, one cousin who was a lawyer and he talked me into going to law school. So right from UVA, went to law school. Never thought about prosecuting. Didn't even know what a Commonwealth attorney was. And it just, it just fell into place. But your parents' dream for you when you went to college was to be a medical doctor. So <laughs> what did they, they say? Did. I think their plan was to put me into any place where I can talk. And doctors <laughs> don't necessarily talk all the time. So uh, while I was at UVA, my group started, created the NAACP chapter. So we were doing sit-ins because we only made up 2% of the, of the Blacks were only 2% in 1978 at UVA. In fact, women were just admitted in 1974. So we were sitting in with our new NAACP, Oliver W. Hill, our, our new NAACP chapter. And Saad Alameen was our lawyer. We had a sit-in and I was sitting under the president's desk. And Saad came and I was, I was chairman of the political action committee and Saad said, I gotta talk to you. I said, okay. He said, I wanna tell you, I wanna prepare you for what you do when the police come. I said, when the what come? The police come. I said, I, press conference. This is the end of this sit-in because my mama was gonna kill me <laughs> if she saw me on the news at, a, at, at UVA. So they knew then I was going into some type of politics so then they thought, okay, well, you'll be the first black female president assassinated because as soon as I take the oath, they're going to shoot me because of my mouth. So at, we said, nope, don't want to be president. Then I said, okay, how about law school? You can talk. In fact, they don't have to stop you from talking. I'm going to stop talking now. I, talk, I can talk forever. And I went straight to law school. Well, see, because I... I there are people watching and there are people that want to do things right. And people worry about what other people say. People, uh, for, for some reason, they're afraid to make a difference. You said you were integrated with the school system, right? And then you let a Caucasian female talk you into running for president, right? So now you're off to college. Now you're going to do a sit-in. You grew up, what, full of faith? What made you that bold that you were doing things during a time where everybody wasn't bold enough to do it? Again, my parents. 
my my daddy was um, chairman of the board at Court Street Baptist Church in Lynchburg, a historical church. Uh, all of his group, in fact, all of the all of my parents' friends, Deans Melvin, Garnell Stamps, all of them were into politics, and our church was the place where people came. Martin Luther King Sr., uh, Jerry Falwell, if you know Jerry Falwell from Lynchburg. And see, my daddy being chairman of the board, I was also a gospel musician. I've been playing piano since I was three. And daddy and I had a choir at Court Street. And I remember Jerry Falwell coming to our church and I'm sitting at the piano and they have to hit my hand because I'm trying not to make some faces here. But I've always been with the movers and shakers because of my parents. Okay. My parents exposed me to people, my parents' friends, and then me being a church musician, I went from playing, you know, of course in my in my choir, I was 11, 12, 13 years old, uh, playing for choirs there. And then when I went to college, I played for choirs and churches in Charlottesville and the, those churches had people there. And see, I had people willing to pour into me, and that's what's important. I, they they poured into me, not knowing where their knowledge was going when they poured it into me. They just knew I was thirsty. I was like a sponge, and I was thirsty, and I was soaking up whatever knowledge I got. Had no idea when I would use it, but and it didn't matter the race of the person that poured into me. And, and, and that's something that people need to understand. Knowledge has no color. Yes, ma'am. And when you seek knowledge and when you give knowledge and when you pour knowledge, you're pouring it out, not knowing where it's all gonna land, but the persons who receive that knowledge may be unseen to you. So there's no color to it. There's no age barrier. And, you know, even my piano teachers, uh, oh my Lord. Now see now, one knowledge that was bad, when I was three, four, five years old, my first piano teacher would eat beside me during the lesson. That was bad, that was a bad <laughs> habit. <laughs> now, I have to eat, that was a bad habit. He also wouldn't wear his shoes. That's a bad habit I picked up, so whenever I play the organ or play the piano, I take my shoes off. Really? Okay, so you never know what knowledge you're pouring into people. <laughs> <laughs> so you're in college. Uh, you, you, you. I mean, you just jumped right in doing a lot of things. Did you date? You know, I was an only child, and in high school, I was the black, only black in all of my AP classes. But I grew up on a black hill. I went to UVA, UVA was predominantly black. I'm still trying to find myself because I'm an only child. I mean, I used to play in my backyard making mud pies with imaginary friends. Okay. So I'm still trying to grow. Um, I joined Alpha Kappa Alpha and that's when, oh my gosh, my, my deans, my big sisters, they, they helped mold me and grow to grow up. I mean, I, I dated, so to speak, but I was I was into the organizations. I was into to finding out who I was, um, and dealing with the black white thing. I mean, that's 
if you ever get a chance to look into the history of UVA, uh, you know, 2% of 16,000, come on now. We, we were, were close knit and we all could fit into one place for step shows at that time. So, and that was, I graduated in 82. So to really understand my blackness, I chose to go to an HBCU. I didn't even know it was called HBCU. I went to North Carolina Central Law School because I needed to learn how to be, not how to be black, but I needed to be around blacks. So when you're asking about dating, I'm too busy establishing my identity. Now, I mean, I, I dated, but yeah, my main focus in the 70s was to establish who I was so that I could be that well-rounded person. More women, more young women um, need to have that state of mind, need to think Need to think like that. And I hadn't thought about this until I asked about the dating. Your circle of friends, you said you had people grooming you, helping you. So your circle of friends were like-minded people. You didn't, were you ever, did you ever find yourself that, Let's just, I'm, I'm going to ask, were black males, were they intimidated by your intelligence, by your strength? I didn't pick up on that until my 30s. Okay. See, I was born in 1960. I'll, I'll be, thank God, 60 in two months. During my years of growing up, Blacks had a common issue. Blacks were trying to deal with being recognized, with getting their rights. You know, I mean, I grew up in the 60s. Okay. Um, we were all on the same playing field. Let me put it that way. And most of the parents, at that time were teachers because education was the, and nursing, but education was primarily the field that was open for them. So my group of people then were teachers' kids, if that makes any sense. Yes, ma'am. Okay. And, and even so, those teachers formed a club called the Buddies and they established a black pageant because blacks weren't allowed to participate in the white pageant. So the buddies established the Miss Bronze pageant so that the winners would get a scholarship. We had our own beauty pageant. And the buddies' kids who couldn't be in the pageant, male or female, whatever, got to know each other. That was my circle. Other than, you know, the people on Daniels Hill, that was my circle of, of folks. Get into college, I was at UVA. We were 2%. So my circle, you know, 2% of 16,000 is very small. So my circle were like-minded folk. And remember, I'm an only child. So it's not like I had brothers or sisters or cousins because my mother was an only child. My father was an only child. Wow. Okay. So I had to fend for myself. So I knew, I, and my mother was a Delta. And that's the only thing I did break up. I didn't go Delta when they say, hey. <laughs> But that's a, that's a story. <laughs> yeah. But I knew I knew that there was a, a sisterhood I needed to get into. That was my circle. 
So again, like-minded folk because like-minded missions, whatever. It wasn't until, and then I went to law school, small group, you know, went, went to North Carolina Central, what, what, 500 people at that time, small group, small circle. The black men, same like-minded. I'm 22, I got out at 25. It wow. wasn't until I got out in the world and had to establish a circle of new folk, you know? Yes, people who didn't know me as Sandy. But there's a whole, you got people listening who don't know that Sandy's my nickname, then you got a whole group of folk, Sandy's all they know. When I got out that 25 years to, th oh, when I got into that group, then I started meeting the black men who felt like I was aggressive because I was articulate. And Lord, remember I went straight through from UVA to law school. So now okay. I'm a doctor, but they don't call it, people don't acknowledge that then, but I'm a lawyer. Oh my gosh. Now I got to deal with people being scared of me because I'm, I'm a lawyer. All right. Okay. I'm female. Mm -hmm. I'm a black female lawyer. I'm black. And I might, even though I started off at legal aid making 17,000, it didn't matter. That lawyer hanging over my head, that intimidated a lot of men. Okay. You, you touched on so many things right there. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's um, even in the process of intimidating men, and I'm sorry, I can't go in any certain order because of our okay. conversation, okay? We're good. Um, I can't help but wonder. So now you're you're in law school. Well, you've graduated from law school. You grew up in a time where Black people, African Americans, weren't doing certain things. You remember when you weren't in the Black school, in a white school, right? Right. You remember crossing over. You remember being in a school where there were majority Caucasian or white people, right? Right. right. How, I know you said knowledge has no color. How do you leave law school to protect people or to pros prosecute people and not be racist? Oh, because, because first of all, in your question, when you prosecute someone, you're seeing that justice prevails. Justice has no color. And that was my main goal to make sure that justice had no color. And that's probably why God sent me to Petersburg. I had never heard of Petersburg. I would maybe driven through it because I'd started off down in Chesapeake, Virginia Beach. But maybe that's why God sent me to a predominantly black city. And when you went to the predominantly black city, um, I'm curious about this. Um, I remember um, speaking to someone and they said um, it was hard not to have more arrests for African-Americans in the city of Petersburg because there were so many African-Americans. Because there's so many African-Americans in Petersburg, did you catch a hard time from the people for the African-Americans if you're, 
if there were more African-Americans in court and you were prosecuting them? I caught the biggest flack from people who thought I was, uh, that I didn't like black men. I mean, particularly, yeah, that, that I was after, you know, arresting all the black men. Now that left out females that were arrested, whites, Hispanics, et cetera. But that I was going after black men. That's what I've gone through more so being a black woman in charge with not the racism, but the sexism. And that and that I don't know, I guess it's that old double standard, but this thing about a black woman in charge, a woman in charge. That was, I had to fight that. A woman I in had charge. to fight that because the, the Commonwealth attorney, the district attorney is the chief law enforcement officer for the city over the police chief. The Commonwealth attorney is a constitutional officer elected on the ballot with the governor, lieutenant governor over the police chief. My job is written in the constitution. The city is not my boss. So the Commonwealth attorney is responsible for the protection of the citizens, all the citizens in that city. Okay, so nine times out of 10, your police chief is a male or other leaders are, are men. Um, in, in Virginia, there are 100, at that time when I was CA, there are 128 Commonwealth attorneys. Maybe 30 were women, but at one time, 15 were women. We're bosses, but we're still an oddity. Uh, with such an oddity, there would be times with juries. I, I have to make sure, and, and this is, when, again, with, with not sexism, but I know to see a Black female, Black articulate female in court um, is, is something that I've had some jurors look at me in awe and I got to get their attention to, <laughs> I got to get their attention to the evidence off of me. So I, I take off my, I'll take off my rings and all, cause you see, I got them on every finger. <laughs> you know, I got my, I, I, I'm a female now, but when it's jury time, uh, take a bling this all down. And because they're looking at my femininity and I don't want them to look at the fact that I'm a woman or a black woman. Or okay. black articulate women. I want them to look at the fact that I'm Commonwealth Attorney. But okay. that puts extra pressure on us women who are in law enforcement because we're still having to show that we are sometimes better, just as good and sometimes better than our male counterparts. So that's what I dealt with my 27 years. I didn't deal with the, the racism because I made sure, I made sure the persons who were representing my office were representing fairness and justice. Was, was it fair that, um, is it fair, for example, and I was going to say, but you had already, you said the word, you are a boss. <laughs> yeah. We've got women walking around saying, I'm a boss. You yeah. are a boss, Dr. Conover. That was, that was my line name, the boss. <laughs> okay. Yes, ma'am. Is it fair that, um, do you think today, in order for someone to look at us, um, we've got, it's not dumbed down, but why can't I wear my jury, jury? Why can't I look my best? I've got to like take my, 
I've got to watch what I wear when I go to do something because of the way people are going to look. Like if you went in with your jury, do you think they would have been more focused on, they would have thought you were weak because you were a woman? No, there, there, there's some people that no matter what you wear, there's some men no matter what you wear are going to think women are weak. No, no matter what. I, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's yeah. just not going to change. It is, it is okay for there to be a dress code. Okay, it, it's okay for that. I, I have no problems with that. I understand in the legal profession that being conservative is the dress code. And why? So that your attention is on the evidence. So that your attention is on the pleading. Okay. Okay? okay. So I understand that and I respect that. Yes, now, within those parameters, I'm going to be a woman and, you know, like, for example, I had a different color suit for every day of a two-week trial. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, oh, oh, yeah. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure my hair's done, my makeup's done. I'm going to be a woman. My nails are going to be done. Now, am I going to go in there during the jury trial and I got on glitter? No. Okay. Because they won't listen to my evidence. Okay. So I, I don't want I, I don't want that to happen. So now with your question, yes, it is fair to have a dress code. Now, how strict that dress code is, you know, private employers, we have no say so in that. Your private employer, you have the right to do to restrict whatever dress code you want to have. I, I had a dress code for my interns. If you want to be able to go to court with me, then that morning that you come in, you do not come in wearing jeans. You do not come in wearing shirts and you make sure your hair is combed. Yes, ma'am. So it, when, it's not it's not wrong to ask for decorum. Yes, ma'am. Can you, um, and I'm not like asking for any body uh, no in particular or whatever, but when you uh, started prosecuting, what was the hardest, or even throughout your years of being a prosecutor, what was one of the hardest things about being a prosecutor? Knowing that when you are handling a murder case, and I, I've handled hundreds, um, I hate to say, you know, 300 at least murder cases or more, um, the way I prosecuted. I can't speak for everybody else. I start off first and foremost going to the scene while the body is there. She'll I, be back. I, I okay. put myself in that. So the first thing that's hard for a prosecutor is allowing yourself to feel allowing yourself to get involved, get emotionally attached. Because if you don't feel it in your heart, you can't, you, you can't do the case. And with the murder cases, I'm the last voice for that victim. So I have to study that victim's body. I have to study blood splatters. I have to know um, how to quiz the medical examiner. Like, <laughs> Most of the medical cases of murder cases, even if 
those I teamed with other prosecutors on. That was my part to do. Because I, I maybe because I should have been a doctor, right? But <laughs> <laughs> I had to know the trajectory of the bullet in the body from the brain. I, I maybe I'd go to the autopsy and 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 see, you know, when they pull the skull back and I'm seeing the, the bullet, the trajectory through the brain, through the skull, whatever. And then I have to know that victim's family. I got to sit down with that family to, to hear the patterns of this person. Because I have to try to, as a prosecutor, you, you got to put puzzles together, pieces of a puzzle together. And it's that body that tells you what happened. And sometimes when you're talking to the family members, you hear of that person's behavioral patterns. Like, well, why would that body be right here? Why would he be at this store? Why would he be on that corner? Oh, that's where he hung out all the time. Who did he hang out with? Why did he hang out with them? You get to the point that you get so involved with the family that when it comes time for trial, you are speaking for that victim. What Was it ever hard like to not know whether, like, how do you not question yourself? You've got, you've got so many people saying he did this and then something you says he didn't do this. How do you not question yourself? No, I do. I do question myself. That's how you get to the truth. You, I have to question because with a jury, you got to prove something beyond a reasonable doubt. So as a prosecutor, you got to keep going on and on and on. You got to keep pushing something to come up. And you'll be like, that doesn't make sense to me. There were many times I didn't accept something that was handed to me by my investigators because it didn't make sense to me in my gut. Okay. And, 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 and I go with that until I'm satisfied. I can't stand before somebody if I'm not satisfied in my heart of hearts that I'm doing what's right. And when I do a jury trial, when I do a, a bench case, I may have notes. But I'm speaking from here because it's ingrained in me. Okay. It's ingrained in me. And I can get to the point where I can put all the puzzles. When the, when the puzzle comes together in my head and I'm satisfied, then I can go with it. So you got to, as a prosecutor, you got to question yourself. Because remember, we prosecutors don't seek a win. They seek justice. And it might be that justice requires someone not necessarily to get X number of years, but maybe that person needs to go to rehab, or maybe that person needs to go here, there, or whatever. How you craft it so that justice is done. Yes, so, ma'am. So you always got to question yourself. Yes, ma'am. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Do you believe in, do you believe in second chances? Second, third, fourth, fifth. You do. You believe? Um, is it possible for someone to be locked up and come out and change Dr. Conover? Do you believe that? I believe God is the only one who changes people. Mm -hmm. When you are changed, the old is washed away. Now, there's some people who do come out and they have been changed from by God and the past is gone. They they may remember some parts of it, but everything else for that is gone. 
Then you got those who come out who modify their ways. Okay. They haven't changed totally. Okay. They still had that, mm, I can still go hood on it. Okay. But they modify how they handle things. Yes, ma'am. I, 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 I totally believe that there are people who are in jail or in prison who made mistakes. So I don't, I don't like to call it second chance. Because okay. we're we're human, okay. we're not perfect, so we're always going to make mistakes. So when you start numbering the chances, you're going to run out of numbers. Okay, okay. We always make mistakes. Yes, ma'am. So being the boss that you are, <laughs> I love saying that. Dr. Carter was a boss. Um, did you live in, you worked in the city of Petersburg. Did you live in the city of Petersburg? Oh, I had to because I was elected. Yes, ma'am. Um, so being the prosecutor, you always felt comfortable going to the store, riding out? Oh, I don't have a spirit of fear. Now, did I have death threats? Yeah. But because of how I treat people, and my, and my kids were in public school, I don't have a spirit of fear. I was involved with the PTA as a community. I love my folk. You know, I could I could talk. There are times as a prosecutor when you act as a defense attorney. I probably had better rapport with some of the defendants than their own attorneys had. They know better. Yes, and they know, they know when they messed up. Okay, you messed up. So you come my way. I mean, I'll tell some people, don't mess up anymore because you come my way. You're not going to get any more breaks. So, uh, no. I, But, yeah, I had death threats. I had bodyguards. And you and and you said your kids went to public school, and it's because you don't have the spirit of fear that you you didn't have a problem knowing that it could be their parents, their cousins, their uncles. I mean, life is life, and I mean, Petersburg's a small city. You know, I I don't want my kids get my kids had you know were active in schools, you know, in the public schools and all, and they had their friends and, and talked to their friends. Life is life. Yes, ma'am. You know? And in fact, there could have been times when things may have been hard for them because of who their mom was. I, I guess it's almost like being a preacher's kid. Yes, ma'am. You know, uh, oh, your mom's a popo. And maybe half the time, some of their friends didn't know their mom was a popo. You know, I, I remember, I do remember one, because um, I mean, I didn't, yes, I did. I had my license plate. But I do remember uh, my kids were, we had a little party for my girls. And some little boy was on their bike and was messing with them. And my kid, my the girls, all they were in minding their own business. So I went out there and he called his people. Okay. okay. So <laughs> his people come up in cars. In cars. Now it's just me. Now I ain't gonna tell you that I didn't have a Slightly little feeling, but I'm gonna bluff my way. You never gonna see me sweat. Yes, ma'am. So they get out of their cars and they come to me. That's all. No, 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 no. We're not having this. <laughs> We're not having this out here in the street, young ladies. I said, I'm your elder. Sisters, y'all don't need to be like this. This young boy was not invited. And those girls are sitting over on the porch minding their own business. Now, I don't know what he told you. Mm -hmm. Then I had somebody look at me and said, you Cassandra. Now, okay, now that's when I really got a feeling in the pit of my stomach because 
sometimes I've had people recognize who I was and could be a present case and they, they're not too happy with me. Yes, ma'am. So I said, uh, yeah, I'm being both, yes. <laughs> you know, let, let me let me give my 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 serious look. Yes, I am. Okay. And they were like, boy, and they smacked the boy upside the head. Don't call us over here no more. Get in the car. Okay, thank you. Let me get wow. my get my my legal look. Yes, I am. <laughs> now, uh, we, we're gonna talk about what you're doing now, but um, I've got to ask this too because. When people find out you work somewhere or you're in this group or you're in that group, blah, blah, blah. So you're the Commonwealth attorney. Did your phone ring off the hook with uh, friends or family members that this happened? What should I do? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, it still does. It still does. It still does. And and I don't mind helping folk to, to a point. And then I say, but make sure you talk to another lawyer. Or, you know, but I, I don't mind. I don't mind sharing knowledge to a point, but I'm not going to, nope. Mm -mm. I'll, yes, I'll cut it at that one. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, they, but they do that. So beautiful. You've led this exciting life. You've um, met all of these awesome goals and you've retired now. What are you doing? <sighs> well, and it, I, I do want to get a book out. I put together a book of, of some works, some poems. They're not really poems, but yeah, some some poetry. Okay. Because um, I want to give a voice to all the victims. Now I dealt with a lot of domestic violence victims. You know, I had some in my life, and and I I just want to put it out there. You know, the journey. So you'll see that soon. You'll you'll see that soon. I want to get that out there because we make a mistake. And we ask domestic violence victims, why are you still with him? Why are you doing that? Okay. And people, people need to realize victims can't verbalize why. Half the time they 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 got into the situation before they knew it, before yes, they realized it. And they don't know how they got into it. And it's so quick. Um, it's so quick for people to say what they won't do, what they won't put up with. And I always stress to people, Unless you've walked in somebody's shoes. Right. Right. And I've even had to tell people that I know, they say, well, I would never put up with that. Your mental state and their mental state may not be the same. May not you know, be the same. And and like what we're going through right now. Imagine people that said, oh, I would never wear gloves. Oh, I would never wear a mask. Oh, I would never stay in my home. Hmm. Yes, Look how quickly this stuff. Snuck up on us. Yes, ma'am. So, so never say never. So with the domestic abuse, you're going to be doing speaking engagements. Well, I speak all the time. Okay. Uh, and not not just on domestic violence. I um, I spoke in Leesburg a couple of weeks ago before the before um, all of this started hitting with the coronavirus on human trafficking. Um, okay. I I that's just what I do. I speak on anything and every anything to a degree, if I can pour out knowledge. And that's my whole thing. I build upon the foundation that was built for me. And then I lay a foundation for those who come after me. Okay. Okay. And excuse me, the foundation that you've laid, um, 
I hear that you have women up under you that are growing also. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but from all walks of life. Okay. Uh, I, there are women who are just doing awesome things at home, um, their children. So when I say I lay that foundation, I'm laying a foundation, I hope, of sincerity, integrity, justice, um, womanhood, sisterhood, and whoever I'm laying that foundation for, because that includes unseen women. Yes, ma'am. Whoever I'm laying that foundation for, my goal is to make sure that foundation is strong enough so that they can build upon it and then they can lay a foundation for others. Yes, ma'am. You know, um, people say I get too comfortable with people, but I'm going to need you back on here. Why do you keep saying what people say? <laughs> I See, do. Because no question with me. Yes, ma'am. Um, I'm going to want you to come back on here. You've touched some, you've touched some serious um, issues. I love speaking to people that have a passion to help others, to educate others. Um, I've got a passion myself. So when I meet another individual that's fighting for someone or fighting for something, I would like to continue conversing with you, Dr. Sure. Conover. Sure. Um, if someone needs to contact you, well, let's make it clear. You're no longer practicing law. I'm an associate attorney. Oh, you no, are. I'm an associate but I do not practice before um, judges and all. So associate means uh, I, I keep paying my dues to the Bar Association. Okay, but no one should call you for- Oh no, I'm not actively practicing. No. Okay, okay. But they should follow you because you're doing things on domestic abuse, human trafficking and other issues. So they should definitely follow you, right? Sure, if they want to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because you're touching on things like the human trafficking. Um, I, I I just think people don't believe, like what we're going through now, that things can come to their front door. Right, right. People don't believe that even with the domestic abuse, people don't right. believe that it could happen to them. Right, right. So um, I'm happy that we have a boss out here that's willing to speak and share information. And um, I was looking at some comments because um, I, I did open it up and I see there are people excited to see you. People love this video. I have a friend up in Maryland who's a nurse and um, she says you're very inspirational. I had told oh, her. Thank you. And I see people from the local area that's supporting you. Um, Someone says, I like Sandy Conover. I have never met her professionally, but I like her approach to law. That was William Johnson. Um, Aisha says, I met her years ago when I did a CE VJ con well, contest. Okay. She says, I was impressed with her resume, but she's one of the realest people I've ever met. And I admire people who like her. Oh. Um, and someone models with you? You model? Yeah. <laughs> you shouldn't have told me that. I put, I've had a couple fashion shows. I like to bring you on. <laughs> <laughs> and what, my, 
My girls and I were known as a triple threat. We modeled with Renee Lacey, with Cameo Models. She's our agent. Yes, ma'am. Tyson Beckford's mother was also our New York agent. So we wow. Followed. We yeah. are Cameo Models. Shout out for Renee Lacey. Yes, ma'am. Renee's on my page. I, I see, love her. I love I see her. You networking with all these Facebook people. I'm gonna have to bring you on or on the I am Stacy Thomas team. <laughs> Yeah, well, we'll talk about that. Sweetheart, it's yes, been great. It's, been, it's great. been great talking with you. And I admire you, okay? Hang tight, okay. hang tough, and, and don't even worry what people say about you. In fact, take whatever they say and say, okay, so what can I learn from that statement? Okay, fine. And keep going. I, I admire you. So from this elder who will be 60 in May, I got to keep saying that to remind myself <laughs> from this elder to you as a young sister, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Yes, ma'am. Continue to be you. And thank you for giving me this opportunity. Thank you for adding value to me. Sweetheart, you've blessed some people today. So if you should ever like, if you think you need Stacy for something, um, I'll, t I'll tell you and the people in here know, and this, this interview isn't about me, but since you're advocating for others, I'm an advocate for Lou Gehrig's disease. I should hope you never run into that with anyone you know, but if you do, Dr. Conover. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And when you come out with your book of poetry? Yes. I'll, I'll definitely let you know. Tag me. If I can't do anything else, I can talk. I'll tell people about it, sweetheart. Yes, Have a great day. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to my live show on Facebook. This is I Am Stacy Thomas. My show is Stacy Thomas Unrestricted Unlimited. It's been another great interview. I see a lot of wonderful people watching the video on the Facebook Live. So I just want to say thank you. Remember, don't stress about yesterday. Don't worry too much about tomorrow because you just might miss living today. And until next time, I'm Stacey Thomas, Unrestricted Unlimited. Don't put me in a box. I've yet to see all that God has for me. Ending. <laughs> <laughs>